Good afternoon, and thank you for joining the Mississippi Speak series. This series is sponsored by One Voice and the Mississippi State Conference of the NAACP. We are thankful to Executive Director Nishambi Lambright-Haynes over at One Voice and Executive Director Corey Wiggins and State President Reverend Robert James at the Mississippi NAACP. Today's topic is the Mississippi Supreme Court Ballot Initiative ruling. What does it mean for the state? I'll be your host. My name is Brandon Jones. I'm with the Southern Poverty Law Center Action Fund. I am our policy director here in Mississippi, and I'm joined today by some great panelists. Um, Representative Zakia Summers is a state representative and servant leader and civil rights activist. She is currently serving her first term as state representative for House District 68, which covers portions of West and South Jackson, Byron and Terry in Hines County, and Pearl and Richland in Rankin County. She is the former election commissioner for the Hines County District 3 and director of communications and advocacy for the ACLU of Mississippi. Zakia is a member of the Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, where she serves as her chapter's social action chair and a W.K. Kellogg Foundation Community Leadership Network Fellow. Zakia received her BA in broadcast journalism from the University of Missouri at Columbia, and she and her husband have three sons and live in West Jackson. Welcome to the program, Zakia. It's good to see you. Good to see you also. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're also joined today by Corinne Rivera Fowler, and she is the Policy and Legal Advocacy Director at the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center and the BISC Foundation. Now, Corinne leads the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center's policy development and oversees the center's ballot integrity program and state legislative accountability efforts. And these efforts help ensure that voter approved ballot measures are implemented. Corinne manages the center's ballot measure tracking and analysis, and she also assists in building capacity uh, of, in the field through the provision and delivery of customized strategic assistance and training for the center state-based partners. For more than 15 years, she has led campaigns to successfully address systemic barriers in community at the intersections of health, economic, racial, reproductive, immigration, and education justice. And welcome, Corinne. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Sure. And look, we'll, we'll jump in. I think most of our viewers and listeners, they probably have some idea of what we're talking about. Just to bring everyone up to speed quickly, on May 14th of this year, the Mississippi Supreme Court voided our state's ballot initiative process. And what this did was essentially overturn the process by which we bring citizen-led initiatives. This invalidated a medical marijuana initiative that had already going through the cumbersome process of getting on the ballot and then passing overwhelmingly. But it also ended several ballot initiatives that were in the works, like Medicaid expansion and early voting, as well as others that were developing. Um, the petition to challenge and void our initiative process was filed by Madison Mayor Mary Hawkins Butler. And her argument basically was that the constitutionality of the state's ballot initiative process uh, didn't work um, because the current language requires petitions to collect signatures in the state's five congressional districts, 
with no district exceeding 20% of the total. The problem there, of course, is that our state only has four congressional districts because we um, did not add population at a rate that allowed us to keep all of those five congressional districts that we had at the turn of the century. So um, the Supreme Court ruled that our ballot initiative is unworkable and inoperable, which now opens this question of what comes next. So Representative Summers, let me start with you. What does this ruling mean for the democratic process in Mississippi? Well, thanks again, Brandon, and thank, thank you for that, um, that summary and for the question. Um, essentially, what this ruling means for the democratic process is that it snuffs out the right of the people to initiate laws here in the state of Mississippi. Uh, the lieutenant governor describes the ballot initiative process as the people's way to impact policy. Well, what the SCOTUS decision did was not only invalidate the medical marijuana program, but it also took away the people's right to petition your government because it eliminated the state's ballot initiative process as we know it. And so, you know, whatever your political philosophy is, at the end of the day, uh, we operate under a democratic process and the voters are the cornerstone to that process. Um, now what happens is that, you know, the other ballot initiatives that we um, know about, according to the Secretary of State, are still on deck. But if we don't fix the ballot initiative process through the legislature, then those ballot initiatives are at risk. And so we're just talking about through this decision having the people's right to be able to impact policy taken away from them um, because of a particular philosophy around the medical marijuana program. Thank you for that, Zakia. Corinne, now you've worked on ballot initiatives in many states. I'm curious from your perspective how you read the Supreme Court opinion and, you know, you might even add to your answer if you've seen this type of thing in other states where you've been active. Certainly. Um, so you mentioned the ballot, ballot integrity program here at BISC. And this program is new and it's expanding um, part of the work that we do. Um, at the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center, we've generally worked to support ballot initiative campaigns through the process of, you know, creating their policy and helping strategically assist them through passing the initiative. Um, the attacks to the initiative process are a relatively new threat um, to our democracy that we've um, been following over the past, oh, I would say five years. Um, and in these five years, we have seen a real ramp up of both legislative and legal um, attacks to the ballot initiative process itself um, and to the implementation of ballot initiatives once they're approved by voters. And so my program um, is, you know, measuring, analyzing, and working with state partners on these threats to our direct democracy. And um, just to give you, you know, some perspective, in 2016, there were only about 33 laws even introduced attempting to change the ballot process in the 24 states that have a citizen-initiated um, um, 
amendment abilities. And this year, so far, we have tracked um, 145 pieces of legislation intended to change the ballot initiative process. And when I say change, I really mean create barriers to the process so that it's less accessible. Um, in Mississippi, obviously, there was a legal challenge and it was, you know, in reaction to um, America um amendment that passed by tremendous voter approval um, last year. But I think it's important to point out that the ballot initiative is used by folks from all different backgrounds um, to have their voices heard and to, to use the tool of, of the ballot measure as is their right in their constitutions. And the people of Mississippi approved by 70% um, the initiative process um, in 1992, and they put into your state constitution that they reserve that right unto themselves, um, the ability and power to propose and enact amendments. And, you know, it is troubling that um, the opposition to medical marijuana um, found a way to not only eliminate um, a voter-approved ballot measure, but also the entire process itself, um, because of a you know a, a census issue and um, and uh, really what what amounts to too detailed of a uh, language in your constitution and too stringent of signature gathering requirements and. We believe that that needs to just be addressed and, and, and that that tool can be given back easily by the state legislature. Um, but it really is a reaction to a policy that some folks in Missouri didn't support, but the majority of voters did. And I think that your legislature um, can and should take action to right that wrong and to amend that language and refer that to voters for approval next year. It's a really simple solution to give that constitutional right of the ballot measure back to them. Thanks, Corinne. And, and you mentioned that the citizen initiative process is utilized by people across the political spectrum. That is certainly true here in Mississippi. I think it's notable that, um, you know, Mississippi, after the initiative was adopted back in the early 20th century. There was another Supreme Court ruling back in the 1910s that took it away. It took Mississippi about 70 years to get back around to reinstituting um, the initiative process. And since that time, because of how cumbersome our process is, very few measures have made it all the way through the process and onto the ballot. But of those that have, I think folks who identify as conservative have felt pretty good about the results of that. The conservatives have used the initiative process to pass voter ID. They have used the initiative process to pass eminent domain. Um, I would say that based on the results of medical marijuana, that was certainly no particular political ideology that supported that, that seemed to be across the board. Um, the 42 initiative, which would have required particular funding for our public schools, that was defeated through the initiative process. Um, so I guess the only thing that conservatives might not have been happy about in the Mississippi initiative process history was the loss of personhood a couple cycles ago. But your point's well taken. You know, this has been something that has uh, been utilized by people all across the political spectrum in Mississippi as a way to access their government when their elected officials aren't as responsive as they had hoped. Um, well, 
I'm curious how this is going to impact advocacy efforts, Corinne, like yours. Of course, a big part of what you have done has been this ballot initiative work. Now, in a state like Mississippi, in the absence of this process, what do you what do you bank to? Is what 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 are you uh, focusing on in the short term? As we hope that our legislature reinstitutes the initiative process. Well, I think that we you know have to utilize all aspects of our government and our democracy, and so we do have representatives that were elected to re represent us at the at the domes across the nation. And so I think what we can do is work with the people of Mississippi, with grassroots community. Um, with, you know, the, the Education Association and the NAACP um, and groups all across the aisle who represent different communities, rural constituents, um, and, you know, have conversations with their legislature um, over this interim period before the next um, legislative session to help them understand that this is really a direct attack on our on their right and their democracy, and to help them understand why this process should be reinstituted. Um, the legislature has a role to play in our government, and as do the people. And you know, the, the tool of the ballot measure is most often used, as you said, um, when our elected officials choose not to take an action on a particular policy. Um, and in Mississippi, you know, there's a pretty stringent process that you go through where the legislature is allowed and able to provide an alternative um, question and an alternative um, um, policy um, to the voters, as was done with the Amendment 65 marijuana effort, and the voters can then decide. Um, but I believe that if we were to, you know, do some polling and have some good conversations with Mississippi voters, um, they would agree that this process um, should be protected and reinstituted. And I, I think that what we can do is organize community, um, engage them on what just really happened. I think that right now, folks understood that the marijuana measure was repealed. They might not understand that the entire ballot measure process has now been repealed. And so I think that a lot of education needs to happen. Folks also, you know, unless there is a ballot measure um, going through the process, you don't really pay attention to um, the ballot measure process itself and how it works. And so it's going to take some long conversations with folks. And then those folks need to, you know, express their concerns and and their wishes to their elected officials. And then their officials need to listen. So I think that there's some work to do and voter engagement that needs to happen. Thank you. And Representative Summers, I guess one of the things that the Supreme Court did was drop this off in the legislature's lap. Um, they, they basically said, we've got to unworkable situation and they have cast all eyes to the legislature for some type of fix. Luckily, you're in the state legislature. So tell us uh, <laughs> tell us what we can do or what what does it look like to change this initiative language? How, how could the legislature do what the Supreme Court has asked and fix Mississippi's system? Absolutely. So so you're absolutely right. So it is now in the hands of the state legislature in order to 
get some resolve to this ballot initiative process. And, you know, this isn't the first time that it's been in, in our hands, you know, based on my research, uh, there have been at least seven bills over the years uh, that have been introduced that would fix, you know, the, the congressional districts from, from five to four. Um, but we know, uh, and Brandon, you know, from working in the state legislature that the squeaky wheel always gets the oil. And so for whatever reason, during those sessions, um, that piece of legislation was not high priority or just didn't get the attention that it deserved. And so now we're at this point that we're at now. Um, but now that the issue is at the forefront, there's no doubt that I believe the state legislature will fix it. The question is, how will we fix it? Um, you know, will we be called back for a special session that will address the ballot initiative process? Um, will we just address the medical marijuana program or both? Or will we wait until the general uh, session in January? I've, I've heard various sides and uh, various thoughts on this. Um, of course, the governor has the ultimate say if we will come back to a special session and what that agenda looks like. Um, but whether we'll call back for a special session or we wait until January, I think another question that we have to ask is, should the people have the right to be able to um, address just the constitutional amendments or should they also have the ability to address statues. And I think in, and Karen may be able to speak more to this, that in some states, the people can do both. And I think that's a question that's before us, at least before some, some legislators, I know the secretary of state uh, has talked about it on some, some various podcasts. Um, and so that's something that we also have to ponder about now, because, you know, we're talking about amending the constitution um, this would be a piece of legislation that would require a two-thirds vote. So it's not just um, a simple majority vote, which means that, you know, the Democrats would, you know, there, there would need to be some Democrat Democratic legislators that support this, which provides an opportunity for us to yield our power um, and get to craft something that you know, we we like that we've done the research on that we've seen happen in other uh, Democratic led states, um, which I think is also important. So um, and then, you know, of course, because it is a constitutional amendment, the people will have to still vote on it. And so then you have to ask, well, will that be a special election or will we just wait until the next general election? How much is that going to cost? Um, where's the money going to come from? Because, of course, the legislature would have to appropriate the uh, funds to be able to cover that election. Um, so there are still many, many questions that are that are left unanswered at this point. Yeah, I, I think one of the questions that's on people's minds represented any speculation as to the timeline for all this. Obviously, when the Supreme Court took down the ballot initiative process, they didn't prescribe the legislature had to act. And as we know from past history, it's sometimes been decades. Um, is there any uh, persistent rumor you're hearing about a timeline for action? Um, I've heard 
and we probably all are, are aware that the Speaker of the House did um, release a statement in support of a special session um, that would address the ballot initiative process and not necessarily medical marijuana program. I've heard the opposite from Lieutenant Governor. Um, he made some remarks um, stating that, you know, we needed to fix the medical marijuana program by legislation, probably the Senate bill that was introduced last session, um, but that he wasn't necessarily in a rush or didn't think that it needs to be rushed on how we uh, fix the ballot initiative process. And then, you know, I've, I've heard the governor say that, yes, we do need to address the fact that the will of the people, as Corinne stated earlier, um, you know, about 74% of the voters supported the medical marijuana program and that we need to do something about that, but not necessarily uh, said anything specific about fixing the ballot initiative process through a special session. So, you know, I, I really don't know. Um, you know, we have to wait until uh, the leadership determines how we how we move forward. But again, if there is a special session, the governor would have to call it. Uh, if not, then we'll have to wait until January. Now we will hear a word from our sponsor. probably remind our uh, viewers and listeners that in Mississippi, um, the governor is the only person who can convene a special session. And this typically happens through what we call a call. So when you hear people say called a special session, there is actually a call that goes out to legislators asking them to return to the Capitol. Not only is the governor the only individual that can call a special session, convene a special session, the governor sets the agenda. And so that's a that's kind of unique because typically when the legislature convenes, people like Representative Summers and her colleagues, they can sort of decide the course of that legislative session. Obviously, Speaker of the House has significant control over House business. The lieutenant governor has significant control over Senate business. But legislators get to propose bills and it can take on whatever uh, subject that the legislature decides it wants to take up for that week. Special sessions are different animals. The governor calls it and then also says what is on the agenda. And so the governor can say, uh, call a special session and only put medical marijuana on the agenda or only put restoring the ballot initiative process on the agenda. Um, and sometimes we have seen something where a special session is called during a session or the call has items added to it during a session. Um, when I was in the legislature a while back, um, Haley Barber used the special session call to great effect, including one time where I believe we had over 20 items on the special session agenda. Um, and, and I don't wish that on you, Zakia. That was a that was a rough. Well, I, I guess we decided not to take them up, so it wasn't too rough. But it was, you know, that's. Um, just gives you some insight into the significant power that our governor has in this space. And you talked about wielding that power. And so I think it's important that we talk about sort of what elements of a fair and equitable 
ballot initiative process should include. And um, I'm going to come back to you on that, Representative Summers. But Corinne, you've studied this. You've seen it from a lot of different angles. What does a fair and equitable ballot process look like? Well, I think, you know, I mean, just in, in the simplest terms that it's accessible to anyone who wishes to use it. Um, and what does that mean? I mean, it would mean reasonable signature gathering thresholds. Um, and what's reasonable is subjective to the state and to the environment and, and um, you know, can be crafted in many different ways. Um, you know, the people of Mississippi approved the original threshold, and I'm not sure on the history of who helped craft that, um, but it was approved by 70%. Um, the, the process shouldn't be onerous. It shouldn't be overly costly. Um, you know, a, a, a grassroots community should be able to go through the process of at least qualifying an initiative um, without cumbersome, overly costly and complicated um, um, mechanisms. Some states are, are very complicated and hard to understand and hard to access and, and others have a more streamlined process. And, you know, at BISC, we compare the different components and make considerations on um, ballot, the best ballot process that has the most integrity. It shouldn't be something that's taken lightly. We are talking about amendments to your constitution and to your laws. And so it should, um, you know, have protections and guardrails and have the utmost integrity. But I think that this um, moment offers this, the people of Mississippi an opportunity um, to review um, the language um, that's in your constitution that governs your process and consider what's best for your state. Um, I will say that putting very specific language about thresholds um, and percentages can cause these kinds of issues. Um, and so, you know, we suggest that those kinds of things are in statute, um, that the uh, amendment that it just states that the people reserve the right to the process um, and then you work to have um, some of the more detailed items not so stringently written into the Constitution because you cannot, um, you know, uh, uh, predict future consequence. Um, and as we see, the changes in, in just in your populations and your districts can cause this. Um, but I do see an opportunity um, for the people of Mississippi to work together um, to decide what can work best for um, for your state. And if the legislature were to, you know, really uh, embrace that opportunity, it would be a tremendous service to the people of Mississippi. Um, that's very idealistic of me to say, and I understand that there's political landscapes that, um, you know, might create barriers to that process, but that would be what we would hope for. We, we welcome idealism on the Mississippi Speaks series. Um, Representative Summers, uh, in the event that you get invited back during special session to work on the ballot initiative process, or if you just take that on in January when the legislature reconvenes for the regular session, what are some of the things you're going to be advocating for within the initiative process? Well, I think it's exactly what Corinne said. You know, we want equitable access for any voter in the state of Mississippi to be able to initiate a ballot initiative process 
without it being, you know, so expensive that, you know, it can never get get off the ground. Um, I think, you know, we've seen with ballot initiatives in the past that because we're such a rural state that it does cost um, a good bit amount of money uh, to be able to, you know, collect the number of signatures that you need in order to get um, a ballot initiative uh, through the process. Um, but, you know, for the short term, I think that the easiest fix is to, you know, change that number. And, you know, I don't see why we wouldn't be able to do that um, during either a special session or the next general session. Um, but I but I do think it's incumbent on um, legislative leadership and my colleagues um, as well to be able to study what has happened in some other states and to lean on, you know, groups like yours and experts like Koran to be able to advise us on um, the, the, the way forward that works for Mississippi, because we know that Mississippi is, is, is different. Um, but, you know, how Mississippi goes, so goes the rest of the country. So I just hope that we can get it right. And we ensure that people, again, can be able to uh, raise their voice when it comes to policy impact. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, I commend you for um, what I hear as a uh, pragmatic approach to this process. It sounds to me like, Representative Summers, you you understand that um, it it might be as simple as simply changing the number to satisfy the ruling from five congressional districts to four, or if you'll take my free unsolicited advice, maybe we just say for whatever number of congressional districts Mississippi has at that time, (laughs) maybe, um, so that we don't have to keep adjusting this if our population decreases or increases. But I hear in your answer kind of this recognition that we're going to have to be perhaps flexible. um, and, And I hope that the real priority here is to find a pathway back to having an initiative. Um, you know, uh, if it comes down to maybe we don't get exactly what we want out of the process itself, we would prefer a cumbersome initiative process to not having one at all, which is where we currently are. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, you, you spoke earlier about the history of the ballot initiative process back in the 20th century. And we have to remember, you know, not everybody could vote then. Not everybody was uh, enfranchised. And so we're at a point now where, well, still not everybody can vote because we're still dealing with some issues in, in that vein. But, you know, for the most part, women can vote. Um, people of color can vote. And so we're, we're in a different time now. And we should be able to uh, ensure that any voter that wants to you know, be able to impact policy and, you know, is, is, you know, let's be, let's be frank about it. Just tired of waiting on the folks that they've elected and hired to, to carry that message to the finish line. Um, they want to be able to do something about it. They want to be able to ensure that they have a good quality of life with whatever issue is, you know, at hand. And so um, it's a part of our democracy. Um, we know that our democracy is under attack. Uh, we've seen, Uh, efforts on the federal level to ensure that, you know, everybody has equal access. Um, And so we just have to continue pushing at that, pushing the needle and making sure that the folks who are in charge, like myself, are responsive to that 
and making it happen. Well, thank you. That, that's it's encouraging, and obviously, we're all hopeful that you get that opportunity to engage in that conversation in a real way very soon. Um, you've both spoken to the importance of uh, people raising their voice to uh, call on their leaders to make plain that they are interested in having this uh, citizens initiative process in Mississippi. Um, I'm curious, Corinne, um, how can Mississippi citizens most effectively impact this process? How, you know, we assume that there are a lot of folks out there who are frustrated by this ruling. Um, to your point earlier, there may be a lot of folks out there who don't firmly appreciate that it's not just the medical marijuana initiative that's gone, it's the entire process. So um, as we educate people, as we talk to people, as we try to give them opportunities to engage, how can they do that? What What is the message we should bring to them? As we've been talking to, you know, folks um, in Mississippi, um, you know, we generally talk to um, people on the progressive side of the spectrum, but we're always encouraging folks to, um, you know, work with their neighbors and their community as a whole on this issue specifically of direct democracy. Um, you know, as you shared in, in Mississippi, especially the ballot initiative process has been used um, by folks across the spectrum to bring their issues forward. And I think that Mississippi um, voters, you know, might need that reminder um, of, of how this tool has been used in the past and of how the voters have spoken and um, been heard in that way. You know, there, there are some um, valid initiatives in the past 20 years in Mississippi that, um, you know, some would not agree with um, in the progressive environment or the conservative environment. But we can all agree, I think, that it was, um, you know, a tool that was used um, to liberate the individuals uh, for the their uh bring to bring their policy forward and to liberate their voices. And, you know, people get the opportunity to run campaigns and to educate individuals and to do their work to um, see what the outcome will be on the ballot. And, and, and that is just a, you know, fundamental part of our democracy um, that um, should be allowed. Um, and I think that if, if we can, um, ensure that more folks in Mississippi understand what just happened and what's at stake. I am sure um, if they were able to communicate that to their legislators, um, that we could have a path forward together. Um, this is not a partisan issue. This is not about politics. It's about the people's role in governing themselves. And um, that is what our democracy was founded on. And um, the people of Mississippi deserve to have that tool, um, you know, um, given back to them. It's really troubling. And, you know, it's, it's hard to swallow that the Supreme Court, um, you know, gave gave that ruling forward. Um, but the language is plain in the Constitution. And, and as a representative just stated, it would be very easy to just change that number. Um, and the legislators can do that, you know, in a special session or through an easy action next year. And we just hope that they do the right thing. And, and, and they, they have a very easy, easy way of righting this wrong. 
um, and I hope they they listen to to their um, the voters of Mississippi. I mean, even if no one called a single legislator, we know that seventy percent of Mississippians approved the ballot measure process itself a couple decades ago, and in 1992, and 74 percent of people just approved the marijuana measure. And so there is real engagement on ballot initiatives in Mississippi, and our legislators, your legislators. Um, should follow that lead. Thank you for that answer. And, and it's very well put to try to remove the partisanship from this debate to, to re remind ourselves that this is about uh, people's role in self-governance and, and, and the governance. So, so um, very well said. Uh, Representative Summers, I know that you will be inviting constituents into this process. I know you will be speaking to people about what they can do. Um, moments like this have been kind of hard to swallow. I think there are people who were excited about initiatives, um, excited about the work around it. There were there were people who had filed a variety of initiatives for this coming um, year that were hopeful and optimistic about the policy opportunities that those initiatives presented. What do you tell those people now? How are you encouraging people to stay engaged? And, and what advice are you giving them for things they can do to help help you get the process restored? Well, I think, you know, that folks need to continue, um, you know, engaging with organizations like One Voice, Mississippi NAACP, your organization, Brandon, the SPLC, um, and making sure that they're getting accurate information that can inform their decisions. Um, it is also critically important that voters continue to engage with their legislators. And I know, you know, how important that is, you know, coming from uh, the role of advocacy director. You need to know who represents you. Um, and once you find out who represents you, you need to touch base with them and let them know how you feel. Um, let them know what you want to see them do, how you want them to support the things that you care about most. Um, and by the way, you know, Legislators aren't the only ones that, you know, are, are part of this equation. You know, we're talking about the decision of the Supreme Court justice, justices. Those justices are elected. And so, you know, by all accounts, make sure that you are voting in every single election because elections have consequences. We've seen, you know, now that the Supreme Court leans more conservative and, and I understand the uh, perspective of not making this uh, a partisan issue and a ballot initiative process shouldn't be a partisan issue. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we are a conservative state and we elect more conservative officials than we do from the progressive spectrum, as Corinne calls it. And so, you know, regardless of who you vote for, they're still responsible to representing you. And that's what I tell my folks. Um, I have a, a very eclectic district. You know, I go from from West Jackson and Hines County all the way to Richland and Rankin County. Right. Like two different sides, <laughs> you know, polarizing opposites. Right. And, but I tell them, you know, regardless if you're a Democrat or Republican, independent or none of the above, I represent you and I will continue to represent you. And you are important to me. And I think that that should be the the mantra from any any person that's elected to office because you know your district or the area that you represent whether that be a ward or 
congressional district or Supreme Court district, we've seen, you know, boards and commissions are still using this five congressional district thing um, that, you know, you represent them all. And at the end of the day, we're represented, we're able to represent the folks because we live in a democracy and we have to continue doing what we need to do to protect our democracy so that the people, the will of the people are at the forefront and not, you know, our personal opinion at the forefront. Yeah, that's right. And that's um, spoken like a real public servant. Thank you for that, Representative Summers. I'm um, appreciative to both of you for participating in this important discussion and thankful for the work both of you do. Um, is there anything before we um, conclude here today that you would like to share with uh, viewers or listeners? Any parting shots, Corinne? Um, First, I want to just thank you, Representative, for your words. Um, that you just you just you know exemplify the integrity of of your your um, responsibility as an elected official and and that's what we hope for from all of our representatives and senators. So I appreciate you just restating that you represent the will of the people in your entire district. Period. Um, I you know we 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 didn't really touch on the ballot measures that were filed in Mississippi for 2022 that now will not be able to go forward. Um, and there were a number of issues, term limits, um, another measure on your state flag, um, full legalization of marijuana and possible Medicaid expansion. And, you know, when you look at that, the- And the early, voting. <laughs> early voting, early voting. Early mm voting. So when you look at the breadth of possibilities um, that voters could have um, had an opportunity to make decisions on, um, it's, it's really troubling. That, that they won't, they, they, they may not, and they, they, they most likely will not for at least for 2022 get that chance. Um, and so I think it's important for the people of Mississippi to know that, that there were many upcoming decisions to be made on impactful policies that would have changed their lives um, and, and uh, in the immediate. Um, and that's the thing with ballot measures, they have the ability to change community lives in the immediate, and that's why they're so powerful. So I just would hope that we can continue this conversation with the people of Mississippi, with the elected officials of Mississippi. Um, Ballot Initiative Strategy Center is here to support and uplift um, the actions and, and the needs of Mississippi um, voters to get this process reinstated. And we, we are very hopeful and we will continue whatever we can do um, on our front and to uplift this issue at the national level. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Um, Zakia, any parting shots? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, what, what I will leave you with is something that, you know, we've heard folks like Bishop T.D. Jake say. And uh, he says, you know, a, a setback is a setup for a comeback. So even though, you know, we're dealing with what we're dealing with right now, it's not over. It's not over. And the NAACP always says, when we fight, we win. And so we just have to continue the fight. We know that the struggle continues. Uh, but when one door closes, another one opens. So let's continue to keep the conversation going. Let's continue our public education and advocacy efforts and stay on top of this 
uh, so that again, the will of the people, the will of the people, the power of the people will come back to fruition. Well, thank you so much. And this has been a, another installment of Mississippi Speaks series. We're grateful to our host, one of the Mississippi State Conference of NAACP. There's no way today's broadcast would have been possible without our producer and One Voice Communications Director, Ayana Canells. Ayana, thank you for your help today. And uh, thank you all for tuning in.